Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, a few weeks ago, I walked into my bedroom and my wife was watching uh, one of her Hallmark Christmas movies. And I got the look, that look that says, if you ruin this for me, I'm going to end you. That, that one. And uh, so I didn't. I shut my mouth and I sat there, or stood there actually. I didn't sit there. I stood there without judgment, a little bit. Uh, and, and I watched, I watched the, the climactic moment of this, this story where our protagonist, the, the, the movie was called A Christmas Island. Christmas Island. And oh, I feel like there's a fan base here at the valley. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I watched as the protagonist, uh, a beautiful, need-nothing, attractive young woman who also, had, also was the pilot of a Learjet. Um, I watched as her and her love story with this, this young, attractive Canadian man who looks like a lumberjack but just so happened to be an air traffic controlman. And he was an air traffic controlman who was afraid to fly, and she was a pilot who was afraid to love. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and I watched as the scene unfolded where he radios in and she's about to take off and leave him forever. And, she's, and, he said, and he calls her to come out and meet her on the tarmac. And there in this dramatic climactic moment in the snow, he says, I think it's time for me to face my fear of flying. She's like, hey, it's time for me to face my fear of loving. And they, I don't know, I don't know if that's the exact words, but. But this is the same, it's the same story that they tell over and over again. And actually, now, wait with me, this isn't a criticism of Hallmark. I actually believe that Hallmark are brilliant. They're like, brilliant? Now, I'm not saying highbrow, I'm saying brilliant. They know exactly what the Christmas message or the Christmas story is ultimately speaking to. It's speaking toward longing. It's, it's speaking toward that ache in the heart of everybody. And in, in most cases, all cases for Hallmark, it's the longing for romance. It's the longing for, for that, that kind of connection with another person. And that struggle to open yourself up to the risk that love takes. You know, I don't know if I can love again. I don't know. And, and, and there, it's all the same story. And I don't say this by any means of criticism. They, they've understood not just what that message of hope for Christmas is all about, but what the longing in every human heart is and the struggle that it is ultimately for us to dare believe that we too could have happy endings. And they're on to something in that. And I bring that up today because I, I want to talk to you about the struggle of hope. And the struggle that it is to actually believe and have faith that things could turn out well. How many of you know that hope is a struggle? And that the, the, the themes that they're picking up on in the Hallmark movies are themes and struggles that we all have. You know, one of the lines I heard in one of them recently was, I have learned that if you have low expectations, you're not as disappointed in life. And all of us, we know that struggle, and yet... At the heart of the message of Christmas and the heart of the invitation of Christianity is that you and I have got to dare to hope 
even go beyond hope and have faith. I want to talk for a few minutes today about hope and faith and this, this struggle that it is for us to operate in that space, but the necessity that it is that we do. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 1, this is the beginning of the, the Christmas story, and it doesn't start with the story of Jesus and Mary, his mother. It starts with the story of John the Baptist, who came before Jesus as a forerunner, and his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. I want to look at this story. I'm not going to take too long today. But I want to get a lesson for us in the area of faith and hope. Let's read it and let's unpack it. Are you with me? Everybody good? All right, here we go. In the, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them were righteous in the sight of God. That's important. They were righteous people, observing the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were very old. They were both very old. Now there's a lot of detail right here that you need to get. One, they were childless. That these two, this lovely couple that lived and obeyed God were good people and yet they'd spent decades with that hope that they would be parents only to arrive at old age with that dream of being parents never coming into fruition. It's important as well, and this is a theme that the Gospels confront over and over again. Luke puts it right there, front and center, that you need to know that these were good people, righteous people on the side of the Lord, and yet they were going through their own struggles. That just because you obey God and you follow His Word, it doesn't mean that you're not going to go through hardships in this life. See, a lot of people believed in the day of Jesus that when you went through difficulty, it was the Lord punishing you. We do believe that God disciplines us, but God is not a God who curses. He doesn't curse us. And a lot of people believe that when you were childless, that was an evidence of God's curse. That you'd done something wrong to, to offend God and he has cursed you with barrenness. And yet, right there in the gospel, it lets us know that these were righteous people in the sight of God. They'd done it right. They'd been faithful. They were, this was a priest and his wife who came from a line of priests. And yet... They were very old, and they had no children. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty at the, at the temple, so all the priesthood all over Israel would have to travel to the temple, and they all had their turns serving in the temple. He was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came... All the assembled worshipers were praying outside, and then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now that would be wild. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was afraid and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. That's interesting. Your prayer has been heard. He's been praying for a child. Now, I don't know if this was recent, probably wasn't, but nonetheless, the angel comes and says, Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. 
He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he is never to take wine or ferment to drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go out before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Imagine that. You're just this old guy long past the days of ever believing you're going to have a kid and you have the appearance of a messenger angel from God and you find out you're going to have a child and this child is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. That's a, that's a big day. I mean, your, your head has got to be spinning at that moment. And, and here's the response that Zechariah has. Zechariah asked the angel, all right, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife, well, she's, let's just say, well along in years. The angel said to him, now the angel Gabriel is annoyed. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent. God himself sent me to speak to you and tell you his word, this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now this is a curious story to find in the Advent texts. This man, Zechariah, has this apparition or this appearance. It's not an apparition. It's a literal. He sees an angel. The angel tells him, your prayer has been answered. Your prayer has been heard. You're going to be a dad. And his response is not, that's amazing. His response is, prove it. Now, it's easy for us when we read Scripture to, to think that we'd react differently in that moment, but you've got to kind of put yourself in his shoes. One, it's not an everyday thing to see an angel. He might have thought, I might be losing it. I might be losing my mind. What's happening here? Is this even real? But more likely, this is a man who had long put to bed any hope of ever being a dad. You ever notice how if enough time passes in an area that you've been hoping for and praying for, that if you, if you aren't intentional, that hope can begin to dissipate and disappear. You wonder when Elizabeth and Zechariah stopped believing that God had heard their prayer. Maybe his reaction was, hey, he heard it about 30 years late. We've been praying for decades and had decades of disappointment. And now you come to me and say, I'm going to be a dad. That's, that's utterly impossible. We are past the point of having kids. We can't do this. The dream of having children for Zechariah had long died. It had long died. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That, that if you keep having to say, maybe next month, maybe next month, maybe next month, we're going to be a dad, we're going to be a mom, but maybe next month, over and over and over and over and over again long enough, your heart grows sick. And if something gets sick enough, it can die, can it? And this is the case that we have with Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. They, they'd long let the dream die. And now here comes the messenger angel Gabriel and says to them, you're going to be parents. And Zechariah's like, excuse me if I have a hard time believing that. I've been believing that for decades. And now when we finally put it to bed and we finally have come, you know, to just accept the fact that we're never going to be parents, you stir this hope up again. It's amazing how disappointment can have you living on guard, isn't it? 
how like past disappointments can cause you to kind of live like this, especially when it comes to the Word of God. And when it comes to the promise of God, when we find ourselves over and over disappointed, it, it becomes very easy to set your expectations low. I'm just not going to hope again because I can't bear the pain. This is the situation that Zechariah is in. And this situ- situation that you, that you know and I know, it's, it's part of being human. This idea of wrestling through hope. And you probably have some situations in your own life right now where you are fighting to hold on to hope. And I really believe today my simple assignment is to tell you that you cannot have too much confidence in God. And that he is after you to kind of firm up your conviction and hold on to hope. And he gives us this lesson of what it means to have faith and to walk as people of faith in the hope that God is going to come through on the promises he promised you. I want to look at that for a minute, give a lesson in faith. A lesson in faith for you in your area of whatever is impossible or whatever you're believing or asking God for. What does faith look like that God is after? Let's answer this question first and foremost. What, what is faith and why does it matter? It's something you hear, obviously, in church. You hear about faith. We talk about faith. And it's a word that I think a lot of us might have some varying understanding of it. So let's break down what faith actually is. Fortunately, the Bible gives us a clear definition of what faith is. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 11. It's known as the faith chapter. If you want to go home and study it, Hebrews 11 gives a definition and examples of what faith looks like that we can apply to our lives. But it says this. The Hebrew writer says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance, other, other translations say evidence, of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, so that's what pleased God. By faith we understand the universe was formed, because we, can't, we, can't, we weren't there, we didn't see it, we believe it by faith, at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And all through the rest of chapter 11 it shows examples. By faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith Joshua. The, the actions of faith. So what is faith? Faith is connected to a few things. First, faith is connected to belief. Correct? If you have faith in something, you believe it. It's, it's the intellectual agreement. It's I believe that to be true. However, faith is more than just intellectual agreement. And this is what I think where a lot of us stop in our faith. We believe something to be true, but how many, how many know it's different? Believing in something is different than having faith in it. And it's different because when you have faith in something, you've actually put your weight into it. You're actually testing it. You're actually standing on it. For example, I am standing on a platform that my friend Dave Fowler built and a few of us helped. (laughs) And I am very confident that this is not going to fall and cave in while I stand here and preach. You might have belief that this won't fall through, but I have faith. What's the difference? You're not standing on it. I am. Faith is active. There is an active, literal, physiological... uh, component to it. This is why it says like faith is assurance. It's evidence. It's evidential. Does that make sense? Faith can be quantified. You can point at it. You believe this will stand up. I have faith this will stand up. Uh, Let's use a hockey analogy. Some of you are believing and hoping that the Maple Leafs are going to win the 2024 (laughs) Stanley Cup championship. 
But if I said, bet your house on it, you don't have that kind of faith, <laughs> right? In fact, you have decades of evidence that that is not a good bet. Oh, it's just too easy. I don't even care, I don't even care about hockey. I could care less. I just love, I just love poking at you Leafs fans. You're, you're the most tortured fan base in all of sports. It's amazing. But what, what the scripture is trying to get us to see and what this story is about is Zechariah did not respond in faith. He didn't respond in faith. He responded with unbelief. And unbelief is the singular thing that hijacks our relationship with God. And, more, and, and as importantly, from that relationship, the, the things that God wants to do in our lives. So, that, so when we aren't experiencing what God has for us, you can trace its root at the disconnection that comes from unbelief. So faith is this thing that God is after, and Zechariah didn't have it. Now the good news is, it's not uncommon for you and I as human beings, or even the, the heroes that you find in the Scripture, to have a bit of a struggle with unbelief. And i, I got to tell you, God is very patient with us. Anybody thankful for a patient God? Oh, you should be. You should be. However... Even though God is patient, here's the, here's the hard truth. Unless you have faith, you will not experience what God wants to do in your life. This comes to the reason as to why faith is so important. Faith, according to the scripture, is the singular way we positively interact with God. It is the space in which your life, in, in a very literal sense, intersects with the life of God. It's the space, faith, where you have carved out space in your kingdom for the invasion of God's kingdom into your life. It is the atmosphere or the, the environment, or uh, I'll use the term soil, in which God, in which our lives engage God and God engages our lives. Does that make sense? Where you have faith is the place where God has access. So think about it like that. So faith is a literal thing. It's, it's substantive. And when you exercise faith, you are opening space up for God's word to come in and do what only God's word can do. It's very important that you get that. God established it that way. Now the Bible doesn't give us a lot of reason for why God established it that way. All we know is clearly it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what is God after from you? Your faith. Your faith. Not, not just belief, but, but holistic faith. That you put your faith in him. Uh, we, we can speculate as to why God set it up this way, but the Bible doesn't really give a whole lot of thought or time to it. It's just the way it is. It might, be, it might have to do with humility. Faith humbles us, amen? It puts God on the throne, not us. It, it lets us, makes us come to him empty-handed, submissive. Faith confronts idolatry. You can't have faith in Jesus as Lord and other things as, as Lord at the same time. Uh, faith, I believe, is probably one of the very few things that you can give God that he doesn't already have. Your faith to him is something that he is jealous after. So we are told that we have to have faith. Now let's break down the rest of the story of Zechariah. That Zechariah wants evidence first. He's like, give me a sign, then I'll believe it. And this, this ran him into trouble, and this runs us all into trouble. A lot of us, when it comes to our life with Jesus, we want Jesus to go first. 
We want God to move first, and then we'll move in response to him, but that's not faith, that's reaction. God is after faith, and then when we, when we move, he moves. Let, let me say it like this. Faith always precedes fulfillment. Faith always precedes the fulfillment of the promise of God. This is why a lot of us as Christians don't experience a lot of God moving in our lives is because there's no actual faith which provides any room for God to do anything. It requires your faith. The kingdom of God is experienced faith first. You hear me? God is very real. And you, you, you're in a room full, whether you're Halifax, West, St. Stephen, Charlottetown, wherever you are, you're in a room full of people who have experienced God's faithfulness, but it's only ever experienced on the other side of you having faith in Him. If you want to see the hand of God move, you have to have faith. If you want to see Him move in your money or your finances, you have to have faith. If you want to see Him heal relationships or your marriage, you have to exercise faith. It requires what? All right, you got it? It requires faith. Amen. All right, so faith is the prerequisite for you to experience God. Now, what does faith look like? What does faith look like? We get a clear picture here in the lesson that Gabriel teaches Zechariah. He, he gives him a lesson in hoping and faith in God. Let's break it down. So we're told, Zechariah responds, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. And you now will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not, what? Believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So first and foremost, central to the life of faith is instead of rejecting or holding God's words out here, there is a receptivity required. That we have got to actually just believe God's word. So here's, here, for you note takers, here's the first thing you need to know about faith. Faith welcomes God's word. We have this receptive attitude that's not prove it, it's if you say so, it will happen. That's what faith is. Faith chooses to believe, trust, and hope in God's word. And can I tell you something? It's a decision. You make a decision. The, the old saints have this figured out. Some of the old songs, like remember the song, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. There is a freedom that comes and a power and a provision and a, a move of God that comes when the people of God just simply say, I don't have to understand it. I don't need to be able to explain it. I just know God is good for his word. There is just this simplicity of faith that says, if you said it, I believe it. And I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know when it's going to work out. I just know you're going to work it out and you're God and you're big enough to do it. And I trust you at your word. And this is what God was looking for in Zechariah. Gabriel did not expect him to say, how can I know this to be true? He expected him to say, may it be unto me as you have said. This is what God is after. This is, this is why Mary was commended right in the next story. The same angel shows up to Mary, this teenager, and says, you're going to have the Messiah. He's going to be born unto you. And her, her reaction, she asked for clarification, but she did not ask for proof. 
Jesus said, how, how will this happen? Not how can I know this will happen? And look what the angel Gabriel said. Or she said, may your word to me be fulfilled. First and foremost, the life of faith is a position of the heart and mind that says, if you say it, I believe it, may it be done as you have said. It's this simple resignation of my need for an explanation and a decision, a decision to believe what God has said. And this is what God was after in Zechariah, this this receptive spirit, a receptive attitude. We often get hard-hearted, don't we? Yeah? You with me? I think this, look, stay with me because God wants to do something in your life. I'm not, I'm not just teaching for no reason. God really wants to access some things. But a lot of us grow hard-hearted over time because, you know what, I prayed for that 10 years ago or 10 months ago and nothing's happened. And what God is saying is you keep your heart tender toward me. You, you, you trust me with my own timing, and I'm going to be good for it. This is why Jesus said, look, there, there's the seed of God's word packs potential, but you have got to be good soil for that seed to gain access. I remember one time I was, uh, this was a couple years ago, in a fairly challenging time when we all were back, you know, pandemic age. And uh, I was in here in a, in a small worship gathering in the, in the valley location, and I was just by myself. And there were some things that I was just like crying out to God for. Where like, Lord, you promised, and this hasn't happened yet. And why hasn't this happened? And how much longer? And did I even hear you right? And I was in a very desperate moment, and I was crying out to God. And I was, I was on the floor, actually, and I had my Bible open, and I just set it down. I didn't try to open it to any specific place. I just set it down. And I opened my eyes, and I looked down, and it was Jeremiah chapter 1. And this, this verse just jumped off the page to me. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree. And I replied, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. And I felt the Lord say to me in that moment, if I said it, it will happen. And it's I who, is, who am guarding my word to see it accomplished. Your job is to trust and believe. And do not allow the months or the years to stack up as evidence that it's not going to happen. It's going to happen at just the right time. And I did some research on what the almond tree is about. And there's all kinds of kind of prophetic imagery. But one of the things about the almond tree that's very interesting is the almond tree is the first one to bloom and the last tree to actually bear fruit. That it's this tree that kind of shows early signs that something's happening, but it takes a long time to grab onto the fruit. And I felt the Lord say, you have to just trust me. And I don't know if there's somebody here today, you got a, a, something maybe you stopped trusting him for. Maybe you put that to bed a long time ago and the Lord is reigniting hope in you to say, I didn't say that was done. And I didn't go back on my word and I'm still watching over it to see that it is accomplished. So faith welcomes the word. Number two, faith walks out God's word. It doesn't just intellectually agree or say, I choose to trust you, but there is a corresponding action that goes with faith. It responds with action. It's, it's more than just intellectual agreement. It responds in action. Faith, you, could, you think about it like this, is your belief in action. That's really what faith is. It's your belief in action. Look what happens next. So Gabriel comes to Zechariah. This gets really, really interesting. 
Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Now, a lot happens that the Bible does not record right here. Sorry, no, right here. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. Yeah, it's definitely right here. <laughs> he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months and remained in seclusion. So we're not told exactly how it all went down, and I'm going to keep this PG. <laughs> but Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were, quote, very old in age, uh, Zechariah went home unable to speak, and you could even make a good argument that he was unable to hear. I'll show you that in a second. But he goes home, and this was not immaculate conception. This is good old-fashioned human reproduction. What's going on here? We aren't told, we aren't told how Zechariah indicated to, to his wife that it was go time. We, we aren't told. We're not sure if he winked at her a lot. She's like, ever since he got home from the temple, he just keeps winking at me. I don't know what's... Did he put on that record? I don't know. Did he make hand signals? I don't know. What, what, we're not told. All we know is that, and this is fun, yes, the Bible can be fun, but it's also helpful. He acted out the promise. He actually went home and something shifted where he's like, okay, let's give it a try. Which how many dudes are here, like husbands here, is like, Lord, send me. Like, send, send me. Like, like God had grace and kindness. Like, here, here, you got one job, Zechariah. He's like, like, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. And they do. And they conceive. And this miracle happens. But I know we're having fun with this, but it is important that you don't miss the point. Like, he actually, he actually acted out. And he walked out that promise. And, and this is really important. Like, you can't say you have faith and have no correlating action in your life. Like, faith actually believes, and it believes in such a way that it acts as though what God said is true, and it's only a matter of time until it's done. And this, this is what hangs a lot of us up, especially in, like, the, 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 you know, North American, Western Christianity, where we so easily fall into the trap of intellectualism, and we don't know, and we don't realize that real faith requires real action. It requires real movement, real action. And this miracle happened, yes, because God promised, but also because this man obeyed the promise and went in faith. And this is what you see over and over in the scripture. It, it was by faith that Noah built an ark that spared him and his family. Amen? It was by faith that Moses believed the word of God and then mustered up the courage and confidence in the word of God to walk into the presence of the most powerful man on the planet and say, God says, let my people go. It's faith. And then the, the, the miracles came after. It was by faith that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. It was by faith that they crossed the Jordan. It was by faith that they marched around Jericho and saw the walls come down. Literally moving in faith. And my question to you is, if you want to see God move, are you willing to actually move yourself? Are you willing to move in any sort of faith? It requires this movement of faith. 
Every year we've been learning this lesson, not just as individuals as a church, but as a church collective. We had a board meeting. Our, our board of elders met last Monday night, and we were reviewing just the, the finance report. And we were reminded how back in May we all, with a bit of fear and trembling, but confidence in God's ability, created a budget of faith where we were believing that God was going to increase our number by 10% or more this year, and we budgeted accordingly. We created jobs and ministries in faith, believing that if God doesn't come through, we're going to be in big trouble. And yet here we are coming into Christmas, and God has met us at the measure of our faith. And you know what I've seen in the 11 years that I've been the senior pastor here? Every year it's the same challenge in, in April, May, when we get creating a new budget. Is Are we going to insult God by believing that he can only match what he did last year? Or are we going to say God will increase what he does if we have faith? And every year we have increased our budget and we've expanded our ministry and God continues to meet us at our measure of faith. This is how it works. Yay, God, on our behalf. But it works that way in your life, literally. Like if you want to see God move on your behalf, you have to move out some space. And the way that you do that is by faith. It's the activity of expectation. What does faith look like? It's the action that you take expecting God to come through. This is what faith is. All right, one more quick lesson. I'm almost done. So faith welcomes the word. It walks out the word. And then there's one more component that's really important that I think this text kind of gives us a, a line of sight into. And that is that faith speaks out God's word. It actually just repeats and recites with anticipation what God has said. How many of you know your words are powerful? So powerful. And there is an agreement of faith and an act of faith that your words accomplish. And it's critical that we realize how we talk really does affect our lives. And this is one of the things I think is so interesting about the way that God, you know, disciplined Zechariah. This was not just some random, okay, you're not going to be able to talk for a while. It was very specifically targeted at an area of weakness in his life. He was speaking unbelief. He was speaking doubt. He was allowing the words of his doubt to rehearse themselves in his mind, convince his heart, and come out of his mouth. And God in his wisdom said, until you can learn to trust my word more than your word or the word of your doubt or the word of the doctor's report, you are going to shut up and not say anything because my word is going to be the last word that you hear. And that's, that's what God is going after here in this lesson. It's, your faith is a question of who gets the final word. Who gets the final word in your life? And, and, and notice, Zechariah learns the lesson. He goes home. He, he walks out his faith. They conceive. And then it says, When it came time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day... When they came to circumcise the child, they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. So they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. This is why a lot of scholars, a lot of commentators believe that uh, he was deaf at the time too. Because they had to sign to him to try to communicate. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Now watch this. On the confession, 
and the, ver like the verbalization, even with writing, of his faith, it says immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free. It was like God was saying, you, you're, you can be trusted now to speak. I, I can trust you to say things that come into agreement with my word. And he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Watch this. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did he do? Prophesy. You know what it is to prophesy? It's to speak the word of God in faith, in advance. So this, this doubter, and this, this unreceptive skeptic, which again, he had good reasons, didn't he? And yet he learned that God is greater than his unbelief and greater than his fears. And he learns that his, his voice needs to be filled with the word of God. He begins to praise the Lord. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Do you see he's speaking in advance? Jesus hasn't been born yet, but it's happening. He has raised up a horn of salvation for uh, for to us in the, for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. And the child grew and became strong. Became strong in the spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. The point is this: God is after your faith, and the way that we walk in faith is by a receptive heart. Walking out our faith in, in the activity of faith and learning to speak the word of God. Whose word dominates the discourse in your mind? Whose word dominates your heart? Whose word comes out of your mouth? Jesus said, from the heart, the mouth. Yeah. Your, your, your words are simply mirroring what's already in your heart. And, and God is after your faith. And one of the ways that you can start working and changing your heart and changing your mindset is speaking out your agreement with the Word of God. Now, some of you people are like, like, oh, you Christians, you live in denial. No, it's not denial. It's disagreement oftentimes. Like, I disagree with what I'm seeing. And I, I choose to believe and agree with what God has said. How do you talk? Have you been speaking in faith over your situation? Now, all this to say, I really felt like the Lord wanted to encourage some weary hearts today. That there might be some situations in your life that seem like beyond impossible, or maybe you've even stopped praying or contending or holding on to hope. Maybe your words, maybe your, your willingness to even allow your heart to believe and trust again is, is so low. And I felt the Lord was just trying to raise up faith in this season for some of you. Some of you need to, to, to re-engage your faith and trust God's word in this season. So quick, quick kind of application. How can we trust God? And how can you have, quote unquote, more faith? Where does faith come from? Here's the good news for you and the good news for me is Zechariah was looking for a sign and, and he didn't get it. He just had to learn the hard work of faith. But do you know that you and I live in a time where we have the ultimate sign of God's faithfulness? that Jesus was already given, Jesus already came, Jesus already lived, Jesus already died, and Jesus already rose again in triumph. Like we have the greatest sign to build up confidence that we can, tr we can trust Jesus. Like I, I love what it says in Romans where Paul says, what can we say in response to these things? He's talking about all the things that were coming against them, all the reasons to fear and despair. But he says, look, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us, say it out loud, all things. Yeah, what's he saying? He's saying God has already proven he's trustworthy. There's nothing more that God could do to prove his trustworthiness than give his only son on your behalf. So if there's things that aren't coming into fruition right now, it's because God's timing is perfect. And he's asking you to trust him. And even when things look impossible, he's already proven he's God of the impossible. He's already proven that he can make a way where there is no way. He can make streams in the wilderness. He can bring walls down. He can part seas. He can even raise the dead. And he's asking you to trust him. Would you stand to your feet today? I want to pray for you. I feel like some of you are asking God for a sign, and I, want, I just want to tell you that Jesus is your sign. Jesus is your sign. It's funny, I, my wife and I pray with all of our kids every night, and our youngest, he's eight, the kid loves to pray. Like, Mel and I wrestle with, like, like he goes on and on and on and on and on. And uh, he's like, yeah, he gets that from his dad. Hey, this has been short, just saying. Uh, and like, we're like, we refuse to tell our kid to wrap it up because we love that he loves to talk to God. But we wish he'd brief it up a little bit. But anyway, no, no. Uh, but one of the things he's been praying lately is like he prays for all these things to happen on the earth. And he goes, and he says this line, he goes, um, and please, Lord, say yes to all the things I've asked. And if you do, I'll believe you even more. <laughs> he says, he says. And uh, he says it every single night. He lists all these things he's asking God to do. And if you do, I'll believe you even more. And I don't feel like that's the time to correct my eight-year-old's theology, so I just let it ride for now. But what I want to tell you, because all of us are tempted to pray that same prayer, if you say yes, I'll believe you even more. But God wants you to believe that he's already said yes. And he's already said yes in Christ Jesus. Like, we are told that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Jesus is your proof that God can be trusted to do more than you ask or even imagine in your life. And so here's what I want to do to end our service. Some of you are in that moment where you are wounded, guarded, you've lost hope, there's things, there's dark things in your life, and the Lord wants to reignite hope again in this season. Maybe it is infertility. It's interesting, we, we dedicated uh, a baby today that we prayed for years for. Uh, God is a God who can bring life where there's no life. Maybe it's a broken marriage that seems beyond repair, not for God. Maybe you're a parent and you have a kid that you're like, God, I know the promises you have over my kids. I know you said raise up a child in the way he should go, he, she should go, and he will not depart from it, and I'm having trouble believing your timing. I don't know what it is for you, what that kind of uh, deferred hope is, but the Lord wants you to bring that before him again today. So I'm going to pray for us. And I want, if you're under the sound of my voice at all the locations, you can come up. I'm going to invite our pastors to come forward, our prayer team to come forward right now. Just come. Uh, and we want to pray for you. And if, if, if that's you right now, just come forward. You got an, you got an impossible situation. Let's do an old-fashioned altar call, all of our sites. Come on. You got some situation. You need the hand of God to break in and you're struggling to believe. I know there's issues in this church, and I know there's a lot of them that we need a miracle. And let's just bring it before the Lord today and ask Him. Come on, there's lots of you. There's, there's people coming right now. All of our locations, come forward right now. We're going to pray. Gonna, and I'm going to pray for two things, and then we're going to let our prayer teams kind of pray. It's, come on, it's not too late. Come on up. I want to pray for two things. 
I'm going to pray grace. Ask the Holy Spirit to grace you with, with the ability to hang on to faith and to, and to walk in faith. And then we're going to pray that God will release some miracles in our lives. If, if there's more, come on. I feel like there's a lot more of you that got some issues going on that you need the hand of God. Look, don't let your pride be something that blocks God from doing what he wants to do in your life. Come on up. We're just, we're just praying. Come on up. Awesome. Awesome. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. We say your word is true and your word is power. And forgive us for our, our unbelief, Lord. We pray the prayer, uh, we pray the prayer of uh, the father that brought his son to your feet. He says, I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And so, Father, for all my brothers and sisters that have come forward, but all of us, God, who struggle with the struggle of hope and faith, we pray in this season, Lord, would you renew, renew and reignite our faith in our hearts, Lord? Would, would, would the light burn bright in us? Or would we be reminded, God, that you aren't bound by time and space, but you can do what you want when you want, and what you say will happen will happen. And so, God, I pray right now just for the renewal of conviction. Father, I pray for the mom or dad who's been praying for that kid, Lord. Would you just reignite their conviction to keep contending and keep trusting that that moment's coming where they will have that eureka moment like the prodigal son. Lord, I pray for that, uh, the young couple that want to have a baby and that you you've put that in their hearts, Lord. I pray that they would not grow weary and they would not wonder if you're ever going to come through, but at just the right time, they'll reap a harvest if they don't give up. So, Father, just would you dispense and raise up faith in our church in this season where we pray and we expect to see the results of our faith, Lord. As we move, you will move into those spaces. So, Father, you know all the needs in our church. And I ask right now, by the power of your spirit, by the grace of your goodness, Lord, would you reach into some situations? And when we have great testimony, would we, like all the people around Zechariah and Elizabeth, would we marvel at the goodness of God in this season? Well, we pray that just this testimony of your goodness and faithfulness would just continue to increase in our fa church family. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. amen.